Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Andrew Amen about preparing your teams for unexpected circumstances. Andrew Amen, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you. You're joining us from the Boston area and south of Salt Lake City in Utah. This is actually a rescheduled recording time. We were scheduled earlier in the week, and I woke up just ill and not able to talk. And so you were so gracious and willing to reschedule. I really appreciated that. I'm doing a bit better now. And today we're going to be talking about preparing your teams for unexpected circumstances. And it kind of applies, right? Like you have to be flexible and agile and you have to be adaptive. And sometimes someone who's a key person on your team is going to wake up sick and they're not going to be able to come in for that meeting or that big presentation. Sometimes you have to cover for each other. Sometimes you have major uh, disturbances, major uh, unexpected circumstances like the war in the Ukraine right now. And we can touch on that a little bit later as we are throughout this conversation, because I know that's something you're dealing with with your organization and members of your team. Uh, there's just so many different things um, that are going on external to us in the in our work environment, uh, but also things that are just shifting with the competitive nature of our business. And so we constantly have to be learning and growing and adapting and that is the new world of work. That is the name of the game. Change is the name of the game. That's all what we're going to be talking about today and how we can prepare our teams for that reality in that environment. As we get started, I wanted to share Andrew's bio with everybody. Since co-founding 923 Venture Studio in 2012, Andrew Amen has helped launched countless ventures for clients in emerging companies and turned his business into one of the fastest growing private companies in America on the Inc. 5000 list. Eamon is an experienced entrepreneur and entrepreneur. He is responsible for patents and nuclear submarine components and three supply chain innovations. He has successfully launched 12 startups, including the digital business card solution Inigo app acquired by Royalty. Eamon excels at bootstrapping startups without the involvement of venture capital. He graduated from the University of Connecticut with a BS in mechanical engineering and took his MBA classes in the University of Strathclyde. He currently helps businesses grow with innovative web and mobile technology solutions and built over 50 applications supporting millions of end users, including a unicorn. A fantastic background. 
anything right. else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your personal story or context before we dive on in further? No, I'm ready to go. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it, John. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So why don't you start by actually telling us a little bit more about, you know, your, your engineering background, mechanical engineering, you have an MBA, um, you are helping in the tech space, but helping organizations be more effective um, and to do their work better. So talk through some of what you've been doing and how that fits with this, uh, with teams in the workplace. Sure. Yeah. So I graduated school as a mechanical engineer and as a mechanical engineer in America, you get a lot of opportunities to work with the government or on large components, you know, trucks, engines, jets, cars, things that have a lot of moving parts. And so when I started working in these, this environment, my, my choice was uh, nuclear submarines. And for the first five years of my life, I was a cog in a giant wheel building a submarine. So as an engineer, you're responsible for a specific component in a, a vehicle, or in this case, a submarine. Mine was the hovering pump. And as an engineer, especially now that I know I'm fully an entrepreneur, I didn't at the time, I was always trying to make the process of what they were building more efficient. And if you've ever been on a submarine, they look like they were built in 1960, and they still look like they're built in 1960. There's not much innovation there. So my brain instantly picked up on efficiencies that can improve the supply chain, improve the logistics, or just simply improve the process that they were doing for those components. And so I became vocal at that, at that young age. And what is now known as an intrapreneur, I was trying to solve problems internally for that company that they could create revenue from or create an experience around that was different than what they were used to. And so after myself becoming vocal about changes that could happen, I landed myself a job that was not listed in their job requirements, like it wasn't a job description. And they placed me there and they said, all right, you said you can do this, this task, these, these set of tasks that you promised would reduce efficiency and create more revenues for the company, go prove it. Right. And so I did that in a, in a giant government type organization and not at the time I was young and ambitious and I thought everything was this easy to just kind of place yourself, but it's not, you really have to vocalize and explain what the return on investment is, what your value is going to be. And then you need a champion. You need someone that's going to bet on you. And so my experience with that was basically learn from the surroundings, learn from what you're trying to accomplish and then understand that there needs to be people that bet on you. So you need to pitch yourself. You need to be a consultant. You need to be that person that is just people can rely on. The idea man is great, but you also need to execute. And so I executed and I ended up getting two United States patents uh, in supply chain. And that same process was just over and over repetitively explaining what the return on investment was, believing so strongly that the company needed to execute the supply chain improvement to, to better their revenues. And, and it came all true. And it was a great story to have. But that led me truly to entrepreneurship, which is where your question was based was how did I get into entrepreneurship from that mechanical? It's really the process of learning over and over and over again, how to pitch myself as a consultant and a helper to people that can make decisions, and then betting on me. And then once they bet on me, I prove them that they bet on the right person. And after a while, I was like, great, now I can just bet on myself. And that's how, what led me to entrepreneurship. That's fantastic. And, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, people making themselves invaluable to their organizations and being willing to speak up 
about those things that you naturally observe. And some people are just more attuned to those things. Um, and they have a, a natural sense towards process and, and procedure and, and fine tuning. Uh, and for whatever reason, that's something that I've always kind of had a knack for as well. And I'm not an engineer. I don't have a mechanical engineering background, but I did, you know, I've had all the crummy jobs you know, while I was putting myself through school early on in my career, you know, getting to the point before I ever had the chance to do the types of stuff I'm doing now. And one of the things I did was I worked uh, in a factory. Uh, we had lots of co- government contracts and I built the, the undercarriage suspension systems for big tractor trailers for big government vehicles. Uh, and that's what I did. So I didn't have any specialized training or anything, um, but that's the job that I ended up doing. I ended up doing all the assembly and I would be able over the course, they were usually 10 hour shifts. So I was saving up money to go to college and in a 10 hour shift, I do about one an hour of these big, um, you know, suspension system under um, uh, carriages of tractors of these big trailers. What I found was very quickly, just my mind naturally went towards efficiencies, productivity, and I couldn't help but start to find ways to do it, you know, a little bit faster, a little bit more streamlined. And by the time I was at the end of my, I was there for about six months, um, saving up money. Once I had enough money to go to college, I was off and I didn't, you know, ever look back. I didn't want to go back. Um, But I was able to, you know, something that used to take an hour, I was able to, to, learn and grow and shift the the processes to where I could do it in about a half an hour. And then I freed myself up to be able to go help the welders and learn how to weld. And I could go do this and that and the other. And um, all of that was, you know, just a way for me to find meaning in the work that I was doing in an otherwise fairly mind numbing kind of a factory environment. And, and, but it was, it, it, it did get kind of get my juices flowing and it was something that I enjoyed. Um, And I found myself ever since in organizations in any role that I'm in, I can't help but just recognize bottlenecks, inefficiencies, whether that be, you know, more mechanical types of processes, but also just people processes, uh, how teams interact with each other, how they collaborate, um, whether that's effective or not, and what they can do better. And that's really what launched me into my career as an academic and as a consultant in doing research in this space as well. So with all that said, I just... It was resonating with me as you were describing, you know, your experience early in your career and kind of where we both have come along the way. Um, so with that, all that said, now I'm excited to dive more into teams and, and uncertainty and, and dealing with unexpected circumstances. Yeah, and I was unaware of that. My first job prior to submarines was I was the guy that would test Jake Brakes. And if you've ever been driving down the road, you uh, going down a big hill, you hear the truck go, it's doing brake retardation instead of like brake suppression of stopping the wheels. It's actually stopping the cylinders. And I was the guy with my hands dirty on an oil rig, on, I mean, on, a, on an engine block with the Jake brake pressing down the lever to try to stop the cylinders. So even at that time, like same type of experience in a factory floor, hands dirty, trying to figure out that. And your mind instantly goes to the efficiency. So it's truck experience. First, first job for me too was a truck factory floor worker. <laughs> Fun. That's, that's a commonality I did not expect when we started this conversation. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever said it out loud on like a podcast or public or yeah. blog. It just, it never comes up, you know, yeah, Jake, yeah. testing engineer, I guess was my title at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So with all of that, the, again, as we kind of were opening up the episode and talking about 
um, the nature of what we're going to be discussing. It's this reality that the world is ever changing. The pace of change continues to increase. There's just so many different unexpected things that get thrown at us. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of challenges and problems of our own making as there are unintended consequences to decisions that we've made, but just as often, if not more pervasive are just all the external things that happen and we just have to respond. And hopefully we're strategic and hopefully we have enough foresight uh, to be able to prepare for some of those things so that we're not being purely reactionary, but we can be proactive as well. I'm not so sure though, that everyone and every team is particularly well-equipped to deal with the, the rapid pace of change. Um, in your work, what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of how we can prepare our teams to be more agile, to be more growth-minded, um, abundance-minded, uh, so that we can lean into those uncertainties and unexpected circumstances? Yeah, and we'll talk about the Ukraine war in a bit. We're getting a lot better now than we ever were because we've been through a black swan event. Uh, but prior to the event, the advice that I can give is you need a solid management team that has the same beliefs and core values, not of you, but like as the team generates an experience together, and it's you see this on the basketball court, you see it on the football field, all of a sudden this team that was ranked eighth or ninth starts making a run in the playoffs. And what's happening to that team is that they're finally finding their voice with each other. They were acquired at the beginning of the season to work together. And it just didn't click at the beginning. But then during the middle of the season or right in the playoff time, you, you have that momentum and that team gelling. And I think with a business, what happens with that is you, you start to find your own company culture because you, you have like-minded people that are inputting their values to the company and you end up creating a team culture. And the, the earlier you curate that, the better the decisions of who you're hiring, when you're hiring and how you're growing is going to be made between the team. So I think as a startup, you know, your first year, you're always trying to figure out, are you going to survive or not, right? And who's going to be on the survival track with you? But after you get to the fourth or fifth year, you are surviving. You're becoming a legitimate business. And no matter what people think of you, you know, even if it doesn't matter how much revenue you're making, you've done something right to make it to the third, fourth, fifth year. And if you're there, you have to start thinking about the culture and the team mentality of how to prepare for events that can crumble what you've built. And those scenarios really resolve in what is in my future? What is my team exposed to? What are these risk-shaping scenarios that can happen? And you mentioned earlier about my MBA. I never actually took the test to get the MBA, but I did all the classwork. And so all I have to do is take the test. But in one of the MBA classes, there's this class they talk about business strategy. And there's a guy that comes in. He worked for uh, one of the, um, the London, um, like the CIA for London. I forgot what their name is. It's in James Bond. I should know this. Uh, and he comes in. MI, he, MI6, is that correct? MI6, something like that. Yeah, some big CIA type guy te now teaches a course on business risk and how to prepare for it. And they teach you to think of all the different scenarios that can happen. And you put up all the sticky notes. And the first thing he does, you spend like a few hours like preparing for the scenario of this like made up company and survival. And he comes in and says, a tornado just hit your building. And he didn't prepare for it, right? That wasn't a, a list. That wasn't even on the task. He didn't say prepare for a tornado. A tornado hit your building. He's like, what plan are you going to use that you put forward? And all of us are like, the answer is none. Like, we don't have a plan for a tornado because you told us to prepare for, like, you know, downstream fish dying and not having any food supply for our little business you made up, right? And that's where your mind goes. 
But I think the lesson there is preparing for failure or preparing for like a disaster or preparing for something for your business. It's not about the event. It's about preparing the team of how they're going to work together when that event happens. And when the Ukraine war happened for us, the two of us, me and myself, my co-founder, we knew exactly what to do. And it didn't matter that there was an event in Ukraine or that there was a hurricane. It, it, all that mattered is that we were on the same page morally and ethically, that the decisions came fast and they were the right decision every time. And I think that's what's more important as you prepare for your business for risk is not about the event that you're trying to approach, like what happens if Google you know, does my product and like copies me? Am I going out of business? Sure, you can prepare for that, but it's better to prepare your teammates for an event in which you can deal with something together. I think that's more valuable for the business in the long run. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. I'm wondering your thoughts on how we, we start that process with our team. How do we prepare them with those mindsets, with the skills and capacity to be able to, to deal with those unexpected circumstances, to deal with the change? Uh, because the reality is human nature is that most people don't really like change. We tend to be naturally resistant to it. Not everyone, but, but the, in my experience, the majority of people tend to be. Um, but you can learn to lean into the change, to learn, to lean into the messiness, the complexity and the uncertainty. Uh, so how do we, how do we help our members of our teams to adopt those mindsets and to, to learn and grow into it? Yeah. And there's two parts of that, that I hear when you ask the question, the first one is a team is made up of people that have different subsets of skills. And there are specific people like visionaries that can adapt to these without too much stress. And when I worked in the government, we had our badges, and on our badges was our um, our test. What is it? Myers-Briggs test. 
and the Myers-Briggs test gave you a color. And the purpose of them doing that is when you sit down in a room and you're about to deal with somebody, if I'm a red and they're a blue and I'm trying to explain to them how to do something, I should be conscious enough to know that they don't like being explained to. And I don't remember the Myers-Briggs rule, so I'm kind of taking the colors and making up the scenario. But once you're aware of the type of person you're dealing with, that person is not supposed to respond in a certain way. So you should treat them differently because of their, you know, their modal, their, who they are as a person. And so I think when you ask the question about like, how do you prepare a team? It's you have to understand who the teammates are and what they should be prepared for. So there are specific people in our company that are not good with risk and changing their day is a very difficult thing. It, it like brings them a lot of stress. Whereas somebody like me, you could call me in the middle of the day and be like, hey, we're going to switch the schedule for an hour. You cool with that? You want to jump on? I'm like, yeah, well, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll, I'll jump on, no problem. But somebody else on my team was asked that question. like, nope, I plan lunch. And after lunch, I want to be on this meeting. And after that meeting, I'm going here. And if you alter any of that, I'm going to be stressed my entire day. And I'm not going to think about anything except the stress. So you have to understand the team first and the values of that team and what they can bring to a crisis moment and harness that because everybody has value in any of these situations and you're working with these individuals because of that value. So you need to understand what they bring to the table and that's when you need to have your team culture talks once a week or once a month about where you want the company to go, how that company should be structured to keep everybody happy. We have a model that we do, it's called EOS. Um, and one of the tasks in there is pick the three people in the company that you wanna model the entire company after. And we pick three people in the company that we all are inspired by, that we think they have great morals and ethics and tactics and communication skills. And then we say, it'd be great if we had more of this person. But just that conversation makes us all realize we're kind of like that person. Like we all have that same, like we picked that person because we like them. It's like you didn't pick somebody you hate, right? That's better preparation for the event because then when that risk event happens, you know where to go and what to do and you know what not to do. I'm not going to ask somebody that wants their day, that has planned their day. I'm not going to ask them to do something different during their day. I'll say Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, in two days from now, can you schedule this task, right? Don't do it right now because I know you got your day planned, but in two days, can you do that? And that approach allows everybody to be, happy with the decisions that we're trying to make, but also not give extra stress because in these, you know, black swan events, extra stress is the last thing you, you want to want to put on anybody. Yeah. And I, I think of lots of applications uh, of what you just said, and I can't help but think, for example, at home. So clearly application in the workplace, but also we have different personalities in home life as well. I'm married. I have six children. Uh, my wife and I have very different kind of ways of working and dealing with the, the demands of the day. And I'm much more kind of like, go with the flow, see where the day takes us. Uh, I can shift pretty much on a dime. And it's very easy for me to fall into the trap and forget, even though I've been married for almost 20 years, but forget that my wife likes to have things established and structured. She doesn't like surprises. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a difference in style and approach. And if I can recognize that and remember that, then I'm not going to do things that are going to disrupt her or cause stress or anxiety or things unduly. It doesn't mean we can't still have organic um, uh, fun and do different activities and do really cool things. It just means that, uh, you know, I, I can't just um, spring something on her. Is there a time and a place 
to be able to spring stuff on people, sure. Uh, but uh, in the workplace, you know, just knowing your people, knowing what they need, uh, how they work, what their preferences are, that can go a really long way in just not adding extra challenge. Um, and you mentioned the Ukraine example, and maybe in our last few minutes together, you can talk a little bit more about what you have been doing with your team to respond to this huge unexpected event. I mean, there are certainly geopolitical conflict and strife in the region for a long time. So that's not necessarily completely unexpected to, but to expect that there's any going to be any sort of actual invasion um, into the heart of the Ukraine. I, you know, I don't think anyone really thought that that was going to happen. And, and so how have you been adapting to that situation? Yeah. And it's a very good segue because we were asked by our customers and a few of our customers said, were you prepared? Like, how did you prepare for this? And we had asked our team, you know, what is, what is the risk? What do you think this is? Do you think Russia is going to invade? And at that time, I don't think anyone truly believed it. I mean, it's proof when you look at the geopolitical side of this, no one had de-invested in oil, right? Knowing that that would be the obvious reaction if Russia was to invade. There's no obvious fiddling with the stocks of people pulling money out, right? And so it wasn't predicted, I think, at any level that this was going to happen. And so when they asked us, like, did you prepare for it? I ran them through the scenario of like, let's say we did prepare for it. And let's say we had set up offices outside of Ukraine and we were fully capable of getting them from the current situation that they were in to a safer location outside of their border. And let's say that was our game plan. And we spent money on the house. We spent time and effort as a team to figure out what's the best place of all the borders. Then the war hit. Within 48 hours of that war starting, the only thing we cared about was the safety of the team. And so we had that in mind of like, let's get them to a place that's safer. And we communicated with each and every single one of them within those first, you know, six hours, we had communicated directly with each one. And we asked three simple questions like, how are you? Where are you going? Or like, how are you? Where are you? And where are you going? Because they had to get out of the cities and they had to start moving because the cities were what was what being bombed. Our team, like our company, created that communication channel. And so I didn't, I wasn't aware that a company was capable of supporting the communication between 25 people of another country, but that's what we became. And as we became that, we tried to move them into safer locations. Well, if we had all this worldly planned in place of exactly what we we're going to do, within 48 hours, the Ukrainian government said, I do not want men leaving the country between the ages of 18 and 60. Now you imagine that happened. We were unaware that that was going to happen. I don't think anyone could predict that men could not leave a country that's being invaded. But once that happened, any plan that we had set up for is now not, not a plan. It's no longer even an option. Nobody wanted to leave their loved ones behind. So now, even if we had planned, we're still in the situation in which we need to think of our, on our feet and we need to react to the current situation. So what would have been better use of our time? Preparing for a, a safe place in Poland or preparing the team and the management team for how to gel together as a cohesive unit so that when the war started, our communication channel became the location for them, the 25 people and their extended families of finding the safest location. And the most amazing thing happened too, as we started watching them move across the country, the team opened their doors for other coworkers they had never met. And not just for like coworkers, we had one that nine members were traveling together and they all lived in one room of another coworker of ours. Right. So that's family, kids, moms, dads. This happened because we set up the communication channels and the trust. It didn't happen because we had planned for it. And I think it goes back to the story we're saying is 
the Ukraine war is, is such an unfortunate event because the people of Ukraine are strong, resilient, and they're innocent here. They have done nothing to cause this on themselves. And it's such a disaster. It's such a horrible thing that's happening to their country. But because we are a remote team and we've hired them, it is our responsibility to financially support them. And it's our, our responsibility to make them safe first. So they didn't have to work. And we told them that right away. We told them, focus on your safety and focus on getting to a place with you and your family. They did that first. And then the communication just happened. Now, the bonding that is happening now is something that is irreplaceable, right? We have created this culture in which we are better communicators. And now that this war has been going on for an unfortunate eight weeks, they have started responding to the company by inputting their values back to the work. And, you know, we had to save the, we had to double our cost, we had to double our revenue just to save the company. And we've been through all that now. Now it's our job to start working together as a team and continue to focus on their safety, but more importantly, create a growth plan for the company that has these black swan events and know how the team is going to respond to the next one. Because we just had COVID, black swan event. Two years later, we have the Ukraine war, black swan event. The next one's going to happen in a year or two. And how are we going to be prepared for that? So I think that's the evolution that you know we've kind of thought about through this. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, a, a, a terrible situation. Um, we hope that it can be resolved as soon as possible. And I commend you and your team uh, for just having a human response <laughs> to a really challenging situation and uh, providing the, the means and the support um, and the flexibility. All of that, I think, is really great. Well, Andrew, it has been a pleasure. I note the time and I'm going to have to let you go here in a minute to get on with your busy day. But before we close the conversation for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, the the many great products that you provide, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. So we are a startup studio. We build startups for both um, start, like we build companies for both startups and established brands. We do a lot of IoT work as well, so we're very engineer-based type products. You can find us at www.923.co, and that's spelled out with the letters. I'm also very active on Twitter. It's Andrew Amon, A-M-A-N-N. And I think the last thing I'll say is, as a person getting into entrepreneurship, if you are interested in coming from a W-2 job or you know just any type of world, like standard type of workforce, be a consultant first. It's great that you can provide your services for somebody else before you dive into the entrepreneurship. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned as we talked about, you know, working for mechanical jobs for so long and then transitioning to entrepreneurship. I think that's the lesson that I like to to exemplify because not many people talk about the importance of apprenticeship. And then the very last thing I'll say is, you know, Ukraine, it's, it's horrible what's going on. They're going to win this war and it's coming from the support of people like us. We are providing financial support. We're also open to donations and things like that to sending them to Ukraine. And it's important that we continue to do that because Ukraine is, is on the verge of winning here. And once they do, you know, the, the people that we work with at least can get back to their homes. Um, and we hope that they remain safe and, you know, that the country itself remains solvent as a com- uh, country because it's it's important to, I think, the world that Ukraine is is is, is victorious here. And we need to support that continually. Well said, Andrew. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Andrew and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
bluer-than-indigo leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer-than-indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.